Geostatistics Explained, Chapter 2. Doing Science, Hypotheses, Experiments, and Disproof. Introduction. Before starting on experimental design and statistics, it is important to be familiar with how science is done. This is a summary of a very conventional view of, scientific, of the scientific method. Oh, no, they don't have a the in there. Haha, grammatical mistakes. That was 2.1. 2.2, basic scientific method. The essential features of the, quote, hypothetico-deductive, unquote, view of scientific method, see Popper, 1968, are that a person observes or samples the natural world and uses all the information to make an intuitive logical guess, called a hypothesis, about it or about how it functions. The person has no way of knowing if their hypothesis is correct. It may or it may not apply. Predictions made from the hypothesis are tested, either by further sampling or by doing experiments. If the results are consistent with the predictions, then the hypothesis is retained. If they are not, it is rejected and a new hypothesis formulated, figure 2.1. The initial hypothesis may come about as a result of observations, sampling, and or reading the scientific literature. Figure 2.1, the process of hypothesis, formulation, and testing. We have a box that says observations, previous work, quote, intuition, unquote, and a number of arrows leading from that box into a smaller box that says hypothesis. Hypothesis has an arrow that leads to a box below it that says prediction from hypothesis. The box below that is test of prediction, and that box splits into two different paths. The first reads, Result consistent with prediction, which leads to hypothesis survives and is retained. The other path leads to result not consistent with production, hypothesis is rejected. Here is an example. Lead contamination is an enormous environmental problem because in the past many manufacturers discarded wastes containing lead and other heavy metals into pits and landfills. These heavy metals are water-soluble, so they can leach into aquifers, be transported by groundwater, and contaminate water supplies. In the early days, cleanup of these sites involved digging up the contaminated soil and removing it to special disposal facilities where runoff could be contained and treated. More recently, it has been found that the mineral group Apatite has a structure that easily binds to heavy metals, effectively immobilizing them. Luckily, appetite is easy to get because it is readily available in fish and mammal bones, where it is the primary constituent along with collagen. For your first remediation job as an environmental geologist, you decide to contain the lead in a contaminated landfill by mixing the soil with several tons of appetite. Your client balks at the cost and asks you to demonstrate that it really works. The hypothesis that needs testing is simple. Quote, appetite will bind lead in contaminated soil, unquote. From this hypothesis, it is straightforward to predict, quote, lower concentrations of lead will be present in water that has circulated through soils mixed with appetite, compared to soils without appetite, unquote. This prediction can be convincingly tested by doing a simple and inexpensive manipulative field experiment with two treatments, A, a 90 to 10 mixture of soil and appetite, and B, a 90 to 10 mixture of soil and an inert filler like glass beads as a control to take into account the dilution that will occur when soil is mixed with everything else. Because differences in the concentration of lead in the lactate, I don't know what that word is, might also result from heterogeneity in lead concentration across the landfill, the treatment needs to be replicated several times. 
You could do this by mapping out three locations that are well-spaced apart across the landfill. At each, you could excavate 20 cubic meters of soil and divide this into two equal-sized heaps, figure 2.2. Figure 2.2 says, Arrangement of a 2 by 3 grid of treated and untreated areas in a landfill. Black squares indicate areas where the soil was mixed with apatite, and open squares where the soil was mixed with the same volume of glass beads. The treatment and its control are replicated at three locations. We have a box that has uh, one um, row that's labeled location, and we have row we have them labeled one, two, and three. And then under one there are two boxes, under two there are two boxes, and under three there are two boxes. And in each case, one of the boxes is white and one of the boxes is black. Um, so the black squares are appetite and the open squares are glass. One, and here you could toss a coin to decide which of each pair of heaps could be mixed with appetite, the other mixed with the inert glass beads, and the two heaps isolated and monitored so you could sample the water that drained from them. This arrangement would ensure that replicates of both the treatment and control were dispersed across the landfill, and the coin tossing is a way of assigning each pair of heaps to the treatment and control at random. You run the experiment for two weeks. Each day, you sample the water runoff from each of the six heaps and analyze its lead content. For this manipulative experiment, three locations within each treatment are experimental units. See chapter one. From this experiment, there are at least four possible outcomes. One, runoff from the appetite-treated soil contains far lower concentrations of lead than runoff from the control. This result is consistent with the hypothesis, which has survived this initial test and can be retained. 2. Runoff from both the appetite-treated and control soil has high concentrations of dissolved lead. This is not consistent with the hypothesis, which can probably be rejected because it seems that the appetite treatment has no effect. There is little or 3. There is little or no dissolved lead in the runoff from either treatment. It is difficult to know if this has any bearing on the hypothesis. There may be a fault with the experiment. For example, the 10 meters cubed was not enough soil, there was torrential rain during the two weeks, or maybe you did not run the experiment long enough for the rain to percolate through the heaps. The hypothesis is neither rejected nor retained. 4. Runoff from the appetite-treated soils contains higher concentrations of lead than from the control. This is a most unexpected outcome that is not consistent with the hypothesis, which is extremely likely to be rejected. These are the four simplest outcomes. A more complicated and much more likely one is that you find considerable variation in lead content within both treatments. This sort of outcome is a problem because you really want to keep your job. You need to figure out whether appetite is reducing the amount of lead leached from the soil or whether any difference between the two treatments is simply happening by chance. Here, statistical testing is extremely useful and necessary because it helps you decide whether a difference between treatments is meaningful. 2.3. Making a decision about a hypothesis. Once you have the result of the experimental test of a hypothesis, two things can happen. Either the results of the experiment are consistent with the hypothesis, which is retained, or the results are inconsistent with the hypothesis, which may be rejected. If the hypothesis is rejected, it is likely to be wrong and another will need to be proposed. If the hypothesis is retained, withstands further testing and has some very widespread generality, it may progress to become a theory. But a theory is only ever a general, a very general hypothesis that has withstood repeated testing. There is always a possibility that it may be disproven in the future. 
2.4. Why can't a hypothesis or theory ever be proven? No hypothesis or theory can ever be proven. One day, there may be evidence that rejects it and leads to a different explanation, which can include all the successful predictions of the previous hypothesis. Consequently, we can only falsify or disprove hypotheses and theories. We can never prove them. Cases of disproof and a subsequent change in thinking are common. The most infamous of these in the Earth, science, Earth sciences was the pre-20th century belief that the surface of the Earth was generally similar since it formed, with only minor changes caused by heating, expansion, and cooling, contraction of land masses. This idea was quickly abandoned when the theory of plate tectonics, which neatly explained variations in the direction of Earth's magnetic field as recorded in the rock record as well as fossil distributions across continents, was developed. Another important historical example is the publication of Copernicus' famous book in 1543, which presented evidence that the stars and planets revolve around the sun rather than the Earth. It took several decades of discussion and the invention of the telescope to make the observations that provided further support for this heliocentric perspective. 2.5, quote-unquote, negative outcomes. People are often quite disappointed if the outcome of an experiment is not what they expected and their hypothesis is rejected. But there's nothing wrong with this. The rejection of a hypothesis is still progress in the process of understanding how a system functions. Therefore, a, quote, negative, unquote, outcome that causes you to reject a cherished hypothesis is just as important as a, quote, positive, unquote, one that causes you to retain it. Unfortunately, researchers tend to be very possessive and protective of their hypotheses, and there have been cases where results have been falsified in order to allow a hypothesis to survive. This does not advance our understanding of the world and is likely to be detected when other scientists repeat the experiments or do further experiments based on these false conclusions. There will be more about this in a later chapter on ethics, which includes a discussion about doing science responsibly and ethically. 2.6. Null and Alternate Hypotheses it is scientific convention that when you test a hypothesis, you state it as two hypotheses, which are essentially alternates. For example, the hypothesis, appetite treatment reduces the amount of lead leached from soil, that was a quote-unquote, is usually stated in combination with, quote, appetite treatment does not reduce the amount of lead leached from soil, unquote. The latter includes all cases not covered by the first hypothesis, e.g. no difference or more lead in leachate, from the appetite treatment. These hypotheses are called the alternate and null hypothesis, respectively. Importantly, wait, did I? Yeah. Importantly, the null hypothesis is always stated as the hypothesis of no difference or no effect. Those are both quote unquotes. So, looking at the two hypotheses above, the second quote does not hypothesis, uh, unquote is the null hypothesis, and the first is the alternate hypothesis. This is a tedious but very important convention because it clearly states the hypothesis and its alternative, and there will be several reminders in this book. 2.7. Conclusion. There are five components to an experiment. One, formulating a hypothesis. Two, making a prediction from that hypothesis. Three, doing an experiment or sampling to test the prediction four, analyzing the data, and five, deciding whether to retain or reject the hypothesis. The description of the scientific method given here is extremely simple and basic, and there has been an enormous amount of philosophical debate about how science is done, see box 
For example, more than one hypothesis might explain a set of observations, and it may be difficult to test these by progressively considering each one against its null. For further reading, Chalmers, 1999, gives a very clearly explained discussion of the process and philosophy of scientific discovery. Box 2.1. Two other views about scientific method. Popper's hypo hypothetico-deductive philosophy of scientific method, where hypotheses are sequentially tested and are always at risk of being rejected, is widely accepted. In reality, however, scientists may do things a little differently. Kuhn, 1970, argues that scientific inquiry does not necessarily proceed with the steady testing and survival and, or rejection of hypotheses. Instead, hypotheses with some generality and which have survived initial testing become well-established theories or, quote, paradigms, unquote, which are relatively immune to rejection, even if subsequent testing may find evidence against them. A few negative results are used to refine the paradigm in order to continue to fit all available evidence. It is only when the negative evidence becomes overwhelming that the paradigm is rejected and replaced by a new one. Lakatos, 1978, also argues that a strict hypothetico-deductive process of scientific inquiry does not necessarily occur. Instead, fields of inquiry, called, quote, research programs, unquote, are based on a set of, quote, unquote, core, core theories that are rarely questioned or tested. The core is surrounded by a protective, quote, unquote, belt of theories and hypotheses that are tested. A successful research program is one that accumulates more and more theories that have survived testing within the belt, which provides increasing protection for the core. If, however, many of the theories are rejected, doubt will eventually be cast on the veracity of the core and of the research program itself, which will be replaced by a more successful one. These two views and the hypothetico-deductive view are not irreconcilable. In all cases, observations and experiments provide evidence either for or against a hypothesis or theory. In the hypothetico-deductive view, science proceeds on the by the orderly testing and survival or rejection of individual hypo hypotheses, while the other two views reflect the complexity of theories required to describe a research area and emphasize that it would be foolish to reject a theory outright on the basis of limited negative evidence. 2.8 Questions 1. Describe the, quote, hypothetico-deductive, unquote, model of how science is done, including the null and alternate hypotheses, the concepts of disproof, and the importance of a negative outcome. 2. Why is it important to collect data from more than one sampling unit or experimental unit when testing a hypothesis? 